Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters for Wednesday, May the 3rd. Arden Swelling, Ben Nicholson Smith. Our producers are Christian Ryan and Nick Andrade. And you would have heard off the top uh, some new intro music courtesy of Augusta, uh, which is a Toronto based seven piece alternative rock band led by Joe Dent, August Jones, and Zach Stuckey. They have dropped a pair of singles and have some shows in and around the greater Toronto area. We'll drop a link to that band's website in our show notes. So thanks to Augusta and to Amal Delich for uh, putting that together for us. Ben, uh, I'm in Boston. I've been at Fenway Park the last two nights, so I obviously have my eyes trained quite closely on this series. I know you do as well because you're working with Jamie Campbell on the Blue Jays Central Desk back in Toronto. Uh, what have kind of been your takeaways uh, midway through this, se- this series, excuse me, uh, as the Blue Jays have dropped two quite winnable, it must be said, one-run games? Well, there's a lot to get to with the bullpen, and I'm sure we'll get to that. I think that's a talking point, of course. The back of the rotation, you know, Jose Barrios, Yusei Kikuchi, they did not look as good. Again, we can get into the details of of why. It's also the longest losing streak that the Jays have had so far this season, where it's three games now after that, another really tough loss against the Mariners here on Sunday, where the Jays go to extras, they lose 10-8, Cal Raleigh hits a couple homers off Anthony Bass and Zach Pop. It's been a really tough stretch for this team. Now, at the same time, I think they've been playing so well that they're entitled to a bad stretch. And they're right now, as we record this, 18 and 12. That's a 600 winning percentage. We expect that even the best teams in baseball are going to lose 60, 65 games in the course of the season. The Jays just lost three of theirs. It's never fun (laughs) to watch. It's never fun for the team to, to experience that or for John Schneider to have these moves backfire with the players not performing to their capabilities but you know it doesn't change the way i view this team i'll put it that way does it change the way you view the red Sox? obviously we're a blue jays podcast and i'm a little bit just kind of in this fenway world right now where like whenever you see a team up close right that kind of changes your perception of them from afar and you notice things that you wouldn't have noticed i'm not locked in on boston red Sox games every night of the season like i am on toronto blue jays games but i gotta admit coming into this series i kind of thought man the red Sox don't have that great of a lineup they don't have that great of a team honestly i'm pretty sure like i had them as like the fifth like team in the AL East, honestly, I really didn't think they were going to have a good season. And then you enter these games, and it's like, man, Rob Ref Snyder's hitting third, and they, you know, Connor Wong is like basically their starting catcher. Reese McGuire and Connor Wong, that's your catching tandem. Imagine comparing that today, Jansen Alejandro Kirk, right? But then I watch this Red Sox lineup up close, and I'm like, man, some of these takes, uh, uh, some of this approach against we've seen Jose Brios and Yusei Kikuchi to this point early in the game recognizing that Barrios doesn't have that change up against left-handed hitters and laying off of it consistently the Red Sox with all those lefties in the lineup and all of them executing a really good approach against him same thing with Kikuchi recognizing early that like he did not have that split change that he throws and that he's not landing his slider for strikes so laying off of that and getting to Kikuchi's fastball and honestly hammering it a bunch I just have been really impressed with the collective approach of these Red Sox hitters and how they've attacked Blue Jays pitching. 
They're better than I thought. I, I think that this is a team that can hit a little bit. Verdugo having a really nice year. Devers, obviously, we know what he can do. Um, it is And Yoshida, too. The moment I saw Yoshida in the WBC, I thought, okay, this guy's legit. And he looks so good. What a great hitter with the power, with the contact ability. He is looks like a tremendous acquisition by the Red Sox. Now, at the same time, man, are they bad defensively in some ways. Like, <laughs> up the middle, okay, Ar- yeah. Arden, up the middle. Reese McGuire, all right. Kike Hernandez, who just throws everything away, and Rymel Tapia playing center field. We've already seen, you know, and not at the same time, but we've seen those guys play those positions at various points this season. And I know Jaron Duran can go get it. I know that there are going to be moments. Connor Wong may be a better defender than Reese McGuire in some ways. But still, Reese McGuire, Kike Hernandez, Rymel Tapia, that is not a strong defensive unit. And I think that there are some significant questions on the pitching staff as well, even as Chris Sale seems to kind of find some things. To me, this looks like a team that could stay on the edges of contention, that could finish third in the AL East at a time that the Yankees, I mean, you want to talk about, you know, teams that are surprising us in the AL East, the Yankees not nearly as good as we thought, the Yankees very vulnerable. Um, so I could see the Red Sox finishing third. I don't think they're anywhere close to as good as the Blue Jays. But, you know, then again, they just beat them a couple times. So, uh, you know, you got to give them a little credit. No, totally agree. And all of these factors have produced like two classically zany Fenway Park games where they've been back and forth and no lead has been safe. And we've honestly seen some crazy defense on like both sides of the ball, right? Kike Hernandez is, you know, throwing balls into his dugout on on ground balls up the middle. George Springer on Tuesday night overruns like a fly ball in right field. How often do you see that from George yeah. Springer? Um, and it like I think a lot of it is just like Fenway Park and that ball was Springer like starts foul and then somehow ends up coming back towards him and, and past him. And you could see his reaction of like on the broadcast. Wow. Like what just happened? I mean, even he was shocked. Um, and then you add in the pitching that you mentioned, like the Blue Jays were all over Kluber early, um, had a really nice approach. I thought against Tanner Houck early when he wasn't landing his slider and trying to get to his sinker. But the Blue Jays lineup also didn't do enough against two very hittable pitchers like Corey Kluber. Ultimate respect for what he's done in his career. Two-time Cy Young Award winner, et cetera, et cetera. He's still a, a veteran. He can still get you out. He's not the same guy. He's throwing one of the slowest fastballs in baseball this year, and and his secondary stuff is just nowhere near what it was in his prime. It's even moving less than it was last year. Like The Blue Jays absolutely needed to punish Kluber early in that game, and they didn't. They didn't take advantage of some very hittable pitches, and they let him settle in, and he ended up striking out seven. Then you look at Hauk again, like a bunch of sinkers up in the zone. Blue Jays executing an approach to get to those pitches and to barrel them um, and not doing enough damage against him like the Blue Jays could have just boat raced Red Sox pitching the the last two nights here and they didn't this lineup didn't take advantage of of its opportunities and then because of like the struggles that Barrios and Kikuchi had commanding their off speed and because the Red Sox lineup is better than I think a lot of people think it is Blue Jays lose two one-run games that as you said looking back on it like those are games that if they're going to win the AL East they need to be winning yeah, you want to win those games. It's tough when you when you don't and you think about, you know, whether it's Yusei Kikuchi not having his greatest stuff. Jose Barrios stays in there in the sixth inning and, you know, he's coming up against Emmanuel Valdez. He's coming up against Reese McGuire. You kind of think, 
all right, you know, this should be manageable. Jose Barrios has been pretty good. It's in Manuel Valdez we're talking about here. And then Valdez comes up and, and takes him deep. Uh, you know, same with Connor Wong, two home runs. Now, to some extent, that's a reflection of a Red Sox team that's probably better than we're giving them credit for. To another extent, sometimes those things are going to happen. It's a long season, and you never want to just see a team start to spiral or, or start to lose what makes it good. But I don't think we're seeing that from the Blue Jays. I think that they remain uh, a team that's very much capable of winning 95-plus games and winning this division despite this three-game losing streak. But to me, it's just the first reminder we're getting of just it's a long season. And there are going to be stretches in this season where good teams lose three, four, five games in a row. And if you're the Jays, you obviously hope it ends on Wednesday night. But maybe it won't, and that still won't be the end of the world for this team because they're still a very good team that's by and large playing well and mostly healthy. Yeah, and with Valdez, it was another classic like Jose Barrios mislocated for Seamer away to a left-handed pitcher or left-handed hitter, excuse me, just left a fastball in a really bad spot. We've seen that from him over the last couple of years. Even earlier in that inning to Duran, uh, Barrios mislocates like his slurve down and in to a left-handed hitter right into you know Duran's happy zone so um you know those are issues we've seen from Brios in the past and honestly I think Brios is only getting extended in that outing and only facing those hitters because of the state of the Blue Jays bullpen and you know what John Schneider and Pete Walker were looking at on their scorecard as they're trying to kind of navigate the rest of the game we're going to talk a lot about the bullpen I think in the second half because there's like a lot of different guys to kind of dive in on but sticking just with the Blue Jays offense right now and what we're seeing from it recently like it's so polarized because you've got guys like Matt Chapman who's the AL player of the month and Bo Bichette who's on this incredible tear Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is having a season that you expect from him but then on the other side you got George Springer who just hasn't gotten it started to this point Dalton Varsho has been in a really deep funk um Brandon Belt is uh you know leading MLB in the strikeout rate I mean where, where's your level of concern with some of these underperforming Blue Jays veterans well the range is very wide. <laughs> um, you know, I'll start with Springer. I just look at the quality of contact and he continues making very good contact. I think back to one of the games on the weekend, I forget which, but it's doing the games with Ben Wagner in the radio booth and we're just kind of sitting there looking at each other after each time he's stepping up and it's like line drive to third, caught. Line drive to left, caught. And I think we're continuing to see some good approach from Springer, some good contact from Springer. Does he have quite as much home run power so far? No, but I don't know about you, Arden. To me, I'm not that concerned about where George Springer's at. He has one of the largest negative gaps between his expected weighted on base average and his actual weighted on base average. And that is a stat that just strips away the luck, strips away whether you line it straight out a hitter, whether you hit a ball, you know, 405 feet to center at a ballpark that goes 410 feet to center, it falls into center fielder's glove. It only cares about your quality of contact was happened historically on bad balls, the similar exit, similar exit velocity, similar launch angle. So yes, George Springer has definitely been unlucky this year. It shows up in his slugging as well. Top 10, negative differential in his expected slugging and his actual slugging. So absolutely, he's been unlucky. But we also have to cite the fact that George Springer's hard hit rate this year is the lowest it's been in his career by a mile. And it's 13th percentile across MLB 
this year. His walk rate is also down significantly. So um, like there are some elements of luck here. And I think there are also just some elements of like George Springer not barreling balls as he typically has in his career and not getting on base or not working as deep plate appearances and not taking as many walks as he has has in his career. I think George Springer is going to be George Springer throughout like the rest of this season. Um, It's it's a little maddening what he's gone through this year. And look, he still hit the max exit velo, like the top range of how hard he hits the ball is like still there. So he's clearly still capable of putting it in play. And I think once he gets into a groove and once he kind of gets past this very frustrating stretch, you're going to see him hit a hot streak and probably go absolutely bananas for two or three weeks. But right now, it, it just has not been there for him. Yeah, and, and I think it's also true that sometimes hitters will slump. Uh, sometimes good hitters will slump. Just like Matt Chapman is not going to have a 1,200 OPS all season long. Sorry to <laughs> spoil that one for Blue Jays fans. He's having an incredible month. Part of that is just a hot streak. Part of that is not sustainable. It's not going to happen. It doesn't doesn't happen for anyone this side of Barry Bonds. So he will come back to earth. That's okay. Springer, he's allowed to have a cold streak right now. And have that be paired with some bad luck. And it looks like this. And it looks like him overrunning fly balls and making mistakes. And it's not a good start to his season. But he is such a strong track record. Such a recent track record. He appears to be healthy. I just, for me, that's not a a major concern. You know, it it does happen at a time that you have some other hitters slumping. um, Which is not ideal. But I think with Springer, the Jays can probably focus their worries elsewhere. Yeah, I, th- I do not think we're seeing a new standard for for George Springer. I think he's going to be much better for the rest of the year. I do wonder if we're seeing a new standard for Bo Bichette, or if we have to start like stop talking about Bo Bichette as just being on a hot streak and actually yeah. just being what he is right now. Because we're talking about like since the beginning of September 2022, and like this is always a little dangerous taking stats from you know combining stats from t- two separate seasons. But since the beginning of September 2022. The guy's WRC plus trails only Aaron Judge and Mike Trout. And it's above Jordan Alvarez, above Yandy Diaz, above Julio Rodriguez in that like top six hitters over that span. There's no flukes on that list. Like that's just a list of some of the best hitters in baseball. Uh, we're talking like a 70 game stretch now where Bo Bichette's got a 1000 OPS, um, where he's got more hits than anybody in baseball. He's got more hits than anybody in baseball since the beginning of 2021. I just kind of wonder when it stops being like Bo Bichette's hot, Bo Bichette's streaking and kind of becomes, well, Bo Bichette's just kind of unlocked something at the age of 25 and hit his potential. And now he is what he is. Another well hit ball. And. This one is gone! A three-run homer for Bo Bichette. And the Blue Jays jump on. Yeah, and this is what a, a breakout, or, a, you know, he's already broken out, but this is what a, a step forward for Bo Bichette would look like, right? He would be hitting lasers everywhere. He would be striking out less, which he is, by the way, striking out a career low 14.4% entering play Tuesday. That is a significant reduction in strikeout rate. And again, hitters can get hot. When you're hot, you're striking out less. So we don't know that that will necessarily sustain itself, but it is one of the hardest things to fake, as is the quality of contact that Bo Bichette's been putting together. And he is consistently barreling balls. We saw the 460-foot home run (laughs) on the weekend at Rogers Center that dented a wall in center field. Like, you don't fake that. You don't fluke your way into those things. So Bo Bichette has been hitting uh, incredibly well. And I think that... 
it wouldn't surprise me if this is a new level for Boba Chef. Now, it wouldn't surprise me, and it's he's allowed to kind of come back to Earth as well. But if he ends up hitting, I mean, I think I forget where, or when, maybe on ATL, we're talking about Boba Chef going into the season, and it's like this guy could win a batting title. Well, this is what it would look like if he's having a season where he would win a batting title. It's just line drives all over the place, locked in approach. And that's a, a huge reason that the Blue Jays have been able to win at a 600 clip so far this season. It's it's hard to analyze or evaluate because it's so much of it is mental with Bichette. I think so much of it is approach. Like as you as you said, we've talked about this in the past when things weren't going well for him last year. Um, he was trying to be someone that he's not. Right, like he was trying to be that like prototypical patient, take your pitches, good swing decisions, hitter, and that's not when he's at his best. When he's at his best, and this is like how Bo describes it, he is quote prepared, aggressive, and fearless. So, what does that mean? Prepared means like he understands the pitchers that he's facing, what the pitcher is going to try to do to get him out, what pitch he needs to get to to drive. Aggressive, he is attacking that pitch early. In his plate appearance, early in counts, he's not waiting around and letting hittable pitches go by, waiting for something better that may never come. Because when Bo Bichette swings at pitches that he can hit, good things usually happen. He has amazing bat-to-ball skills uh, and fearless. The fearless part of that is not being afraid to like go down 0-2 whiffing at sliders, right? Not to be afraid to come out of his shoes and look foolish at times, not really caring what anyone else thinks of him like those have been like the mental things that he's really honed in on and improved um and and only he knows what that feels like at the plate clearly he's feeling pretty good right now but it was kind of interesting talking i talked to him on tuesday and he was like i still go up to the plate sometimes and feel like i don't remember how to hit like he's like i still have really bad days like it's not you know I'm, I'm i'm not perfect hitting is a really difficult thing this game is really hard some days are a lot harder than others and there are days where i really don't feel good at the plate and i don't feel like a good hitter and what does bobish do on those days he quote competes and that's when you see him kind of flicking singles to the opposite field and and cutting down his leg kick and making contact and maybe not trying to you know absolutely obliterate every pitch like those have been the advancements for Bichette uh and it is hard for somebody who's never stood in that batter's box to understand them or to describe them but it is interesting hearing his insight into them when it, when he does share it for sure it's uh it's adding up to a great start to the season for Bichette I think if you can kind of take him and, and Vladdy and what they're doing right now and just roll that forward you'd be thrilled <laughs> Vladdy also you know off to a very very good start He's just quietly putting up those, you know, two hit games. Like here's a double and a single the next day. Here's a double and a walk. You kind of look up every couple days at the scoreboard, see his his slash line. It's like, yep, OBP around 400, slugging around 500, batting average around 300. Like that's kind of who Vlad Jr. is. So, you know, to have those two guys hitting second and third in the order or, you know, in the one day when Springer was off, they're hitting one, two. And it's kind of like, that's a nice look. (laughs) Um, you know, they're, uh, they're just driving this thing forward and, uh, that's, that's what they're supposed to do. They're core players in this team and, and you can see exactly why that is. Yeah. They're young superstars in this game, the generational talents. And very importantly, they have been so consistent this year to the point where we like forget about these incredible things that they're doing. It's both sides of the ball as well by the way Vlad has been spectacular at first base Bobachet hasn't made an error at shortstop um since like the first week of the season 
it's way too early to look, you know, to be counting errors or like looking even at advanced defensive statistics, honestly. But for what it's worth, admitting that it's not worth a ton, like outs above average, DRS, UZR, all those have bow is right around league average this year. And the eye test supports the fact as well that he is playing a much better shortstop right now. Yeah. And, you know, and we shouted out Bo last week, and I'm glad you mentioned that again. But I, I'm also glad you mentioned Vladdy because I, I don't, I haven't actually even really considered his defense this year. And I'm kind of considering it now for the first time. And it's like, yeah, it's been flawless. Like, I yeah. can't remember, I can't remember uh, really that many even mistakes. Uh, I'm searching my mind now. Like, he's been so good. His decisions are better um, than they were a couple of years ago. He seems to have, you know, gotten so good at, whatever it is running down the line for a pop-up knowing when to break towards second base on a ground ball and he's scooping them out of the dirt too so vladdy's been very good at first and see how it works out here's a ground ball down to third and dug out at first by vladdy doing the splits brandon drury is retired yeah vladdy is you just don't even think about him defensively which is like incredible when you think about the conversations we were having a couple years ago about vlad defensively and the other thing we really don't give Vlad Bo enough credit for is the fact that they play every day like these dudes post every day players and the effort is consistent and the intensity and the focus and the results are, are super consistent as well so you're just seeing like two really young players like blossom into superstars at the big league level it's cool to watch uh on the polar opposite end of this spectrum is Brandon Belt right now who is not in the lineup every day he's a part-time player on this team he's getting pinch hit for against right-handed pitchers late in games right now which probably tells you all you need to know about the Blue Jays confidence in, in his ability to hit right now uh it's a 44 percent strikeout rate as we sit here uh and an 8.8 percent walk rate so those are two very different things from throughout his career a 43 weighted runs created plus clearly searching for it at the plate you want to give him time to find it he's a veteran his track record should speak for itself 123 career weighted runs created plus he's been very good in his career but how much time then can the blue jays give brandon belt to figure this out at at 35 and i mean when do they have to start thinking about alternatives it hasn't been good and i think you're always thinking about alternatives and i think right now there's not one that's clearly better than brandon belt i mean you look addison barger's on the minor league injured list spencer horwitz having a nice year but are you confident that spencer horwitz has never played a game in the major leagues is going to be better than brandon belt probably not but are you wondering if brandon belt is done if this is it I mean, they're not going to say it, but I think their actions speak for themselves. And you hinted at it right there. Facing a right-handed pitcher on Monday. This is a righty. This is the reason that you bring in Brandon Belt. It's not for his defense. It's not for his base running. It's not for him left on left. It is so that he can mash against right-handed pitching. And they pulled him. They put Alejandro Kirk in. Now, Kirk's a good hitter. But still, Brandon Belt, that should be the moment that you want Brandon Belt up. That should be the moment that you are thrilled that you spent $9.3 million on Brandon Belt. Instead, they're removing him from the game. And not only that, the next day, facing a righty, Tanner Houck, that would seemingly be an opportunity to put Brandon Belt in. Nope, he's on the bench. So the confidence in Brandon Belt, this is through the Blue Jays' actions, through how they are using him, it is clearly at a low. And I don't know how they recover from that. He will get more chances. 
It's not to say that we know what the future holds for Brandon Belt. I don't know. He might bounce back. He might have a good season. But at this point, the confidence is clearly at an all-time low. And I can see why. Because he's not hitting. He's missing everything. It doesn't look good. And there's a real chance. It's not a guarantee. And you want to proceed in a way that that you're trying to get the most out of Brandon Belt and work with him and not write him off. But there's a real chance that this is just it. And the Jays are going to have to figure something out at some point. So I, I don't know. Am I being overly like harsh there, Arden? I just I, I look at this situation. It's like the Jays clearly are losing faith. And you can see that from the way that they're using him. The one thing you can say is that that, that pinch hit was against Chris Martin, who is uh, famously uh, famously an ATL favorite, by the way, but also uh, famously a, uh, a reverse splits guy. So the thing is he brought in a righty to face him, though. So yeah. it's not like you're going to a lefty. <laughs> I like, jeez, man, it's it's tough because if that if the Blue Jays aren't seeing that as a good matchup for Belt and they aren't seeing Hauk as a good matchup for Belt, which speaks to why he isn't in the lineup there, well then how are they going to find good match? Like where is yeah. the good matchup? Because we know how the Blue Jays make these decisions when it comes to lineups, when it comes to pinch hitting. Like this is all devised thought out like well ahead of time like lining up like several games in advance like who is going to be a best matchup and it's not just lefty versus righty or vice versa it's you know swing planes and pitch pass and all kinds of stuff that goes into these decisions we know the blue jays think really deeply about this stuff and yeah if those aren't good matchups for brandon bell it's hard to imagine the blue jays running into too many starting pitchers who are uh or even relievers but again you want to give him time because the track record is is so extensive and so strong. Like I know like Blue Jays fans obviously have not seen the best of Brandon Belt to this point, but I mean you can pull up the fangrafts page and there are like multiple three to four win seasons on there. I mean, as recently as you know, 2020, 2021. I mean, this guy had weighted runs created plus numbers like above 150. So we are, you know, talking about a guy who was like more than 50% better than league average offensively not that long ago um so you want to give him time to try to tap back into that but like as things stand right now it's hard to find really positive indicators that this is going to get better anytime soon yeah and the game changes quick i mean two years ago was recent at the same time two years ago alec manoma was a minor league pitcher you know so the game comes at you really quick and it doesn't wait for anyone and you know brandon belts had an awesome career and again, maybe we'll be talking next week. He'll have hit four home runs and the whole narrative will have changed. And the Jays would welcome that. Anytime I've asked people with the Jays, they say they think better things are ahead. They appreciate the takes and some of the some of the uh, swing decisions that Brendan Belt is making. But sometimes actions speak louder than words. And I think the fact that he was not in those situations is pretty telling. One more thing I want to touch on when it comes to hitters uh, before we take the break is just Dalton Varsho, who has been uh, struggling substantially over the last several weeks. He entered Tuesday night's game hitting 122 with a 420 OPS over his last 21 games. He was 9 for 74. He had only two extra base hits over that 21-game span. Tuesday night, two extra base hits. He matches that total, a double and a homer. He made a very slight um, tweak mechanically he eliminated the toe tap in his swing went to a more traditional gather you know talked to some blue jays coaches they they hope that'll kind of free up um Varsho's athleticism at the plate 
uh, it's one game. <laughs> it's only two extra base hits. I'm sure that it's better than the alternatives, certainly, but you're going to need to see it working over a longer stretch of time than just one game. Um, the problem for Varsho recently, honestly, has just been fastballs inside, particularly elevated. Like there's just a hole in the swing there that pitchers have really been exploiting. Um, at times, Varsho's been able to make contact against those pitches, but he hasn't been able to make contact with authority and put balls in play at a high rate of speed. It's what he needs to do, what every player needs to do to to see results and you look at the two extra base hits on tuesday they're both against pitches on the outside half of the plate so we still haven't seen this new gather really address that hole in Varsho's swing that pitchers had been exploiting, but I am interested just to see how it plays out going forward because at least we have something sort of demonstrable here that he has adjusted uh, as the league has clearly found an adjustment that they've made to him. Pitchers are so ruthless, right? In today's yeah. game, the data that we have, like you look at Juan Soto, the way that pitchers approach him, and he does not swing at pitches that are on the low and in part of the strike zone. And so you can sneak strikes past him there. And until he does damage, that's going to contribute to his struggles. Low and in on Juan Soto. What did the Jays do against Rafael Devers? Yusei Kikuchi last night. Over and over, fastballs at the top of the zone. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, you're kind of playing with fire. But they kept going back to Devers, and it worked. He flied out to center field a couple times. And that's the advantage of all this game planning and this data and this scouting that that these teams do, is sometimes you can find a hole and exploit it. And until Dalton Varshow can figure that out, it's going to be a challenge. But he's a young hitter, and he's someone who's historically... Um, been very productive against very very good pitching so we'll see where this one goes no doubt about that we're going to step away but when we come back we got to go deep on this blue jays bullpen and figure out exactly what is happening here all that and so much more when we continue on at the letters listen to at the letters ad free on amazon music included with prime It continues on at the letters, Arden Swelling and Ben Nicholson-Smith. Thanks to our producers, Nick Andrade and Christian Ryan. Thanks to all you for listening. You can email us, as always, uh, at the letters at sportsnet.ca. Ben, this always happens throughout the season where it's impossible to kind of perfectly time our our podcast releases and we kind of record when we have the opportunity in between our very busy schedules. So we're recording this on the morning of the much anticipated Alec Manoa versus uh, Alex Verdugo uh, confrontation, I suppose, that we are all uh, expecting Wednesday night. And this will be released on Thursday, May 4th. Today is Wednesday, May 3rd. We don't know yet what's going to happen between these two. We're both very curious to see what's going to happen between these two, obviously because of, you know, Verdugo's comments and you know, the other back and forth that Manoa has had with, with Red Sox hitters, including Franchi Cordero and Bobby Dalbeck in the past. Um, you know, I, I don't think that Alec Manoa is going to throw purposefully at anyone. Alec Manoa right now is a guy who is trying to like get his pitches in the zone and is a guy who like has already four of his six starts this year uh, has four walks or, or more and he had only five of those such outings in 2022 so this is a guy who's trying to find uh you know his command and trying to throw more strikes he can't really be affording to give away free passes right now but i I am curious to see how it plays out i went back and looked up that 
you know, famous Verdugo homer off of uh, Manoa in 2021, which actually came, or in 2022, excuse me, which actually came before like the sort of back and forth with yeah. Cordero and Dahlbeck, uh, the one where Verdugo stared into the Blue Jays dugout after um, the homer. And uh, I looked up the old home to home time on that one, Ben. Uh, Verdugo took over 32 seconds rounding the bases after that homer. It was the slowest home run trot of Verdugo's career. It was the 13th slowest home run trot of the more than 5,000 homers hit across MLB in 2022. A 99th percentile or first percentile, whichever way you're looking at it, home run trot. Uh, I thought that was pretty interesting to see. And hey, that's the right of a player who hits a big home run. Right, you hit a big home run, you can celebrate it. Verdugo walks the Blue Jays off. He does a little dance. Hey, you know, you you earned it. You are able to hit a home run in front of your home fans. You can celebrate however you want, and the Blue Jays don't have to like it. Here's where I think Alex Verdugo is kind of hypocritical, and I think it's when he starts to look around and say, "So and so doesn't play the game the right way. So and so doesn't, you know, celebrate the right way." I don't know. Like, if you're going to allow yourself to celebrate and to enjoy the game in a certain way, shouldn't other players have that same right? And to me, him trying to police Alec Manoa at a time that he's celebrating in the way that he wants to just doesn't really add up. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens uh, when these two uh, match up here on Wednesday night. I'll say this. Alec Manoa is a really good young pitcher. Alex Reduto, honestly, a really good hitter. So it's just going to be cool to see two really talented dudes uh, going at it. Um, we got to talk about this Blue Jays bullpen because the, the Blue Jays are clearly kind of searching right now for how that pecking order is going to work, who they can trust in which situations. Um, you know, they, we mentioned Jose Barrios was extended in his outing because the Blue Jays are a little bit thin on a day they were trying to stay away from Eric Swanson and Jimmy Garcia. Maybe see the same thing with Yusei Kikuchi a little bit on, on Tuesday on a day when uh, you know I, I would assume Jordan Romano wasn't available not that the Blue Jays had like a, a save to get um, and Nate Pearson likely also wasn't available after throwing two innings on Monday uh, like how, how do you kind of see some of this maneuvering and, and sliding pieces in, in the Blue Jays bullpen how's it looking to you well it's not looking great and this is a pretty quick turn of events because honestly as recently as a few days ago I thought this bullpen looked so good I thought it looked like a strength of this team and they go out and scuffle and that's going to happen I think we're starting to see some of the hierarchy within this bullpen changing and we can get into some of the nuance of that but I think broadly we're seeing Nate Pearson on the rise clearly that was out of necessity against the Red Sox on Monday where they probably wouldn't have thrown him if it hadn't been for the fact that Jimmy Garcia and Trevor Richard, well, Richards did warm up that day, but Richards had thrown 29 pitches the day before. Jimmy Garcia wasn't available. So you go to Nate Pearson. He performs extremely well. And so he's obviously on the rise and someone that you could see in leverage again. And that is strike three call. Finished him with a curveball. Pearson bounces back and puts up a good inning in his return. On the other side of that, Anthony Bass and Zach Pop, I think, are trending toward lower leverage. And Bass and Pop were the guys who allowed the home runs over the weekend to Cal Raleigh. And afterwards, John Schneider made a comment to the effect of, you know what? Cal Raleigh, to some extent, gets credit. But to some extent, our pitchers didn't execute. 
And that was pretty telling. That was an indication to me that John Schneider was not thrilled with what Pop and Bass did. And then the next time out, Zach Pop, a ground ball pitcher, leaves a sinker too high in the zone against Connor Wong, and Connor Wong hits it over the green monster. So that's not what you want to see from Zach Pop. Doesn't mean that he's not going to have really big innings for this team and get really good results for this team later in the season. But right now, Zach Pop has to be falling a little bit in the pecking order of bullpen usage for the Blue Jays. Yeah, and the rally homer was Pop pitching on a back-to-back, which has been um, you know something the Blue Jays have been trying to figure out. Is is the stuff going to be as effective on back-to-backs as Zach Pop? Because we've seen a couple times now in spring training and in the regular season, pitching on a back-to-back, Velo isn't quite the same. Movement isn't quite the same. He's not quite as fa- fine with with his control and his command. Um, and look, like it's tough at the big league hit level. Like these hitters are really, really good. When I see when you're talking about guys like Wong and and Rally, like squaring up a Zach Pop sinker, like I've seen this this sinker up close. It is a beast of a pitch when you're talking about like 96 97 moving down in the zone like it is incredible some of these pitches when i see nate pearson throwing 100 with run i'm like how is anybody ever gonna hit this but as we've seen with pop now and even with like anthony bass who's been hurt on fastballs quite a bit this year you leave pitches in bad spots to big league hitters they're prepared they know what you throw they know how your pitches move they've adjusted their swings to that they may have faced similar stuff to yours off of a traject machine or an eye pitch before the game they're ready for that and they can turn that stuff around we've seen it even with jimmy garcia at times this year it feels like every time he's left a four seamer over the plate he's got burned um and jimmy garcia is throwing as hard as he has in his career so like big league hitters especially in those late moments against relievers who have very um narrow repertoires and really kind of cuts down what a hitter has to think about big league hitters are really good so if you aren't super fine super exceptional with your command and your control you can get hurt at this level yeah and it doesn't mean that zach pop is going to allow home runs every time out and i again i think that from what we've seen he has the potential to be that Clay Holmes, that ground ball inducing high leverage impact arm. Maybe that is a change in usage to some extent. Maybe that's a change in execution or preparation. We don't know exactly what that will look like, but clearly the stuff plays. And so Pop, I think as the season progresses, has a role on this team. Bass, at least against righties, is someone who can be a very useful pitcher with the slider and the fastball. Now, I think we've seen that the Blue Jays don't really like Anthony Bass against lefties. And I don't think we're going to see Anthony Bass in high leverage for the next little bit if the Blue Jays can help it. So that means other guys get an opportunity. And I think Nate Pearson belongs in that discussion, is definitely in that discussion. And even Trevor Richards, right? Trevor Richards, you want to talk about predictable, basically cut out the curveball. You're looking at fastball changeup, but the changeup's so good that he's been getting really good results. And so the Jays use him and Swanson almost as kind of lefty-type relievers, guys who can get lefties along with Tim Meza. And we see Trevor Richards in some big spots. And that's just part of the ebb and flow of a, of a season, really. Um, nothing totally remarkable about it, except for the Blue Jays need to be making those decisions on the fly because the stakes are very high in those moments. Trevor Richards has a 53.5% whiff rate on his changeup yeah. this year, which is like absurd. This guy, that pitch is so good and he is getting so much chase on it and so many whiffs outside the zone. But again, a guy who, when he leaves his fastball in a bad 
place, we see it get hammered, right? And yeah. you know, he's a guy who's run into you know the home run a bit too often over the last couple of years. I think eliminating that breaking ball will help him have less fewer of those results because it just wasn't a particularly competitive pitch the way that he was throwing it. But like as long as the changeup is this effective, he's going to have success. But when he has to go back to that fastball, it's can that play against really good big league hitters? You know whose fastball absolutely plays against really good big league hitters? Nate friggin pearson and like i i talked about it last week how i would be ready to put him into leverage very quickly i have seen nothing since then to change my opinion on that you look at the outing that he had against boston two innings he really didn't have his breaking stuff like he didn't have his curveball didn't have his slider he threw only four of them in that outing a two inning outing he was just leaning on his fastball just pounding the zone with it and overpowering hitters like i said it was 100 with run like with life, we haven't seen that kind of life from Nate Pearson. And and you ask him and he's like, yeah, I don't even know where that came from right now. I'm just throwing the hell out of the ball and it's doing what it's doing on its way to the plate. Hey, as long as that's working, I think the Blue Jays should be inserting him into more leverage right now. And I think the Blue Jays actually want Nate Pearson pitching frequently like they want him pitching regularly and just getting into that rhythm and that routine i don't think they want him to have a ton of downtime in between outings because he's a guy who needs to pitch and just kind of needs to discover who he's going to be as a reliever in this new role on the mound so i think you're going to see nate pearson frequently this year and i think that the blue jays absolutely should up the leverage and test him with with a, a bit more responsibility out of this bullpen because as you mentioned anthony bass who entered the season as somebody who's supposed to be facing that leverage isn't someone who's going to be trusted against it right now zach pop as you mentioned you know it's fluctuating there and you can't use eric swanson every day you can't use Jordan Romano every day in non-save situations. So I think that Nate Pearson is just falling into that role right now. Yeah, Nate Pearson pitching really well in what we've seen from him so far. That's a great sign for the Blue Jays. They need leverage arms. They need velocity. And I think that now we're going to see more of Nate Pearson in high leverage. So it's a little more simple, too, than what it was in years past with Nate Pearson, where is he going to try to work through a lineup three times? Is he going to try to work through four pitches? There's a simplicity to it. I think that can be a really good thing for the Blue Jays and, and for Nate Pearson as they move ahead, where they know what his role is. And let's see if he can keep excelling the way he did against the Red Sox the other night. Yeah, put it this way. I don't think Nate Pearson's going back to AAA. Uh, as, as long as he's pitching the way that he is right now, which does make things a little bit interesting going forward because, uh, you know, Adam Simber is on the mend from that rhomboid issue that he was down with. He's at the Blue Jays player development uh, complex in Dunedin, Florida, and actually threw a 23 pitch side session on Tuesday. Uh, next up for him is going to be facing hitters and then uh, likely a, a rehab assignment for probably just one outing. But look, we're talking to live BP in a one inning rehab assignment. I mean, I mean, you could knock those things off in the next seven days. So he is uh, nearing return. Simber is, and Mitch White has already begun a rehab assignment. He's made, he's pitched two outings on it, uh, and he's still got the three weeks of rehab eligibility. You get 30 days on a rehab assignment, and I would expect the Blue Jays to utilize just about all of those with Mitch White, unless there's like a pressing need in the majors. You're going to keep letting him get stretched out and, and kind of just uh, build up his pitch count. I actually talked to Mitch the other day here in Boston, and, and he was saying, you know, the pitch shapes are all 
all good. Like feels good with his velo. He he caught some pretty rough weather in in the outing with AAA Buffalo on Tuesday in Worcester. So I probably wouldn't read too much into the results there. But the the grades on the pitches have all been good so far. So it's interesting. You got two forty man pitchers, one of them out of options, and Mitch White, another guy who you're probably not going to option, and Adam Simber, who are nearing returns, and you got Nate Pearson establishing himself. In the big leagues, these things do tend to take care of themselves, but there, there could be a little bit of a, a bullpen crunch upcoming, interestingly enough. Yeah, it is getting a little bit more interesting. And I think with Mitch White, like you said, you can slow play it. You can see if and when a need emerges. Chances are at some point in the next 30 days, someone is going to go down or they're going to need a spot starter. And then that becomes clear. Okay, it's time for Mitch White to come up. Certainly doesn't seem as though... Um, others at AAA have surpassed him in that depth chart. So um, Mitch White, um, at some point, probably gets that chance, but not a huge rush. I think you can let that play out. And then with Simber, like you said, he could be up a little quicker. And if he's ready, let's say it's a week from now, 10 days from now, maybe you do option pop. I mean, that's one way that you could go. And that gets Simber back on. Obviously, there's a cap on the number of relievers or total pitchers that the Jays can have. So you're not going to have more than eight relievers it's going to be a tough decision one way or the other. But at this point, knowing what we know today, I would guess it's Simber for Pop. And of course, there's still time for that to change. The ebbs and flows of a big league bullpen, right? Because Zach Pop won literally the final job in the bullpen uh, for opening day and then pitched himself to a point where it was, oh, you can't option this guy. And now here we are, May 3rd, and we're like, yeah, maybe you do uh, option him if, if you need a spot. So like that shows you how much things have changed just over four weeks and how much things could change even by the time that we talk next week then. Absolutely. Yeah, and I expect more changes to come, right? Maybe Pearson will have some struggles. Maybe Pearson's going to be pitching like this and he'll be in the all-star game like who knows where it's all going to go uh there's a lot of time left um and the jays do have uh the weapons they do have the arms in that bullpen to have a very good bullpen despite what we've seen the last three days i still think you look at the strikeout rate it is top five in baseball that is not where it was the last couple years so i think the ingredients are there and i think that this group is capable of more than what they've shown in the last few days yeah blue jays haven't even had a rain out yet and a double header where it's like, ooh, we got to call up another pitcher, maybe a spot starter. Uh, geez, I probably shouldn't even yeah, speak don't that into, <laughs> into existence yep. at this point, Ben. Uh, I got to go cover a game. You got to talk about uh, that game with uh, with Jamie. Uh, two more for the Blue Jays here uh, in Boston against the Red Sox. Very interested to see how those go. And then it's on to Pittsburgh and Philadelphia as the Blue Jays wrap up a pretty extended road trip here that's going to be it for us want to thank our producers nick Andrade and christian ryan he's ben nicholson smith i'm arden zwelling thank you so much for listening we'll talk to you next week on at the letters